welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Happy Easter, everybody. So this season is unique. We're going to be in Easter through the end of May. That's how long Easter lasts. You can leave your decorations up. We, uh, we're going to end Easter in May, and then the first Sunday in June is going to be Pentecost Sunday. That's when we tell the story of the birth of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit. This timeline is from the Gospel of Luke and Acts, Luke Volume 2. Luke Volume 1 is the work of God in and through Jesus Christ. Luke Volume 2 is the work of God and the Holy Spirit through and the church. And so Acts 2 is where we'll end, right? And there's a whole lot of chapters of Acts after chapter 2. We'll get there. We're going to follow the Luke timeline, which follows Jewish festivals. Jesus was crucified in Luke on Passover. And the Jewish festival of Pentecost comes seven weeks after Passover. We celebrate our big day as Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so seven weeks after Easter, we celebrate Pentecost. And these Jewish festivals are meant to give us some meaning behind what it is we're celebrating. There's a deeper tradition. So we're going to follow Luke's timeline. We will get to Pentecost, Acts 2. But in the meantime, we're going to read chapters after Acts 2, hear of what the disciples experienced in this empowering, so that when we celebrate our empowerment, then we're kind of ready. We have some example to go by. Because we celebrate that Resurrection Sunday was the end of one of the gospel stories. It was not the end of the story. It was the beginning of a whole new story, of our story. Amen? Yeah, it's good news. So today we're going to begin with Acts chapter 5. And it's quite simple, setting the stage a little bit. We're just going to read from a little part. But what is happening is that the disciples have followed Jesus' instruction. They've received the Spirit, but he said, I want you to go and bear witness to Jerusalem, and then a little further, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So they're in Jerusalem, and they go to the Temple Mount. And if this whole room were the Temple Mount, and maybe the temple itself were up here, there's a portico over along the wall called Solomon's Porch. And so the disciples, about 120 of them at this point, are there teaching about all they've seen and all they've heard. And there are people responding to it that are turning their lives to this new way, this new understanding of God's Messiah and Jesus. People are bringing the sick, and they are being healed. The Scripture says all were healed, even by Peter's shadow passing across them. Yeah. The disciples are doing what Jesus did. Which, what did they do to Jesus? The council and the people that liked to have their way of thinking be upheld some of which had conspired and led to Jesus' crucifixion, they have reprimanded the disciples. Stop teaching in this name. So they're still teaching, and people are still responding. So they imprison the disciples. And there's a really cool scene in the prison. It's miraculous. You should read it. I'm not going to cover it here. But then they're brought before the council for a trial of sorts. And that brings us to our passage today. So let's hear Acts 5, 27 through 32. Where the high priest confronted them, in no uncertain terms, we demanded that you not teach in this name. And look at you. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to hold us responsible for this man's death. 
Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. We are witnesses of such things as is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Love that Peter... Peter says, our ancestors, you know, he's the promise from our ancestors, but you, you, you did what you did. We saw it. We're witnesses to this. I love this scene because Peter more or less says, if I paraphrased it, okay, you're telling us not to teach. God told us to teach God in Christ, the Messiah, you know, the one you killed. Who are we going to listen to? We're going to listen to God. We're going to listen to God. We have to. We're telling of what we've seen and heard. We are witnesses. We are empowered. That is the truth. Do with us what you will. And they had a little discussion, and that's worth reading as well, but you can read that on your own. But eventually they beat the disciples and then turn them loose. And the disciples dance and skip in joy as they leave because they have shared in the sufferings of Christ. They have taught as he taught. They have done as he's done. And they have received both affirmation and beatings. And they think this is a great thing. No wonder they were regarded as a little strange. Amen? We are witnesses. That's the key phrase of our entire Easter season. We are witnesses. Just like Peter said, he and the disciples are witnesses. We follow in that tradition. They are simply teaching what they saw and what they heard. We get caught up sometimes. How many of you, if I say, you're to go and witness today, how many of you would go, kind of makes us anxious, or maybe we picture some witnessing we've seen that doesn't look like anything we want to be a part of. Witnessing this word has kind of been commandeered at times with good intention, maybe not always the best methods. If you are intimidated by the call to witness, you are not alone. There is an inevitable thought process we all have when we think about witnessing to our faith. One is we got to have it all right. We have to know exactly what to say, the perfect way to say it. We can't miss anything. We can't get anything wrong. And if someone asks us a question and we don't know how to respond, then we've failed in some way. So we, we set up this huge expectation that we can't possibly live up to, and so we don't even try. And we don't want to seem like crazy people to our neighbors. Amen? Because some of the witnessing we've seen looks a little strange. Church, our calling is to be witnesses, are to be witnesses. Our calling is not to have all the answers. If that was our calling, we'd be given all the answers, but we're not. We're not called to have the perfect story because there is no such thing, really. What speaks to one person won't speak to another, and what you have to say is different than what I have to say, and I don't have the whole story, you don't have the whole story, but together we give something more. The pressure to have your one- to two-minute elevator speech, well-intended. How many times has that happened and how much stress has it caused trying to figure that out? Now, it is good to think about what have you seen and you heard. Not what has the person next to me seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? Let's start with what is a witness. Let's go even simpler. Witness. The word in Scripture. The word Peter uses is martyr. The word martyr 
means literally witness in a courtroom. That's it. It's simple. Now, it's, become, it's come to mean more, but that's not what Peter's saying. It brings that sometimes. It brings punishment or worse, but you're simply being a witness. Now, when you're a witness, think about a witness in a courtroom of our days. They simply tell what they saw and heard. They don't convict. They don't condemn. They don't judge. They don't prepare the defense. They simply tell what they saw and heard. We are witnesses. That's our task. Not to convince, not to condemn, not to judge, but to bear witness to what we have seen and heard. So what have you seen and heard? That's where your quest to be a witness starts. What has led you to faith in Christ? That's a great story to share because I'm betting it's different than everyone else in here. What have you witnessed in your faith? What have you witnessed in the church? Because I know in my less than four years, some of you have been through some incredibly difficult, painful times. And it's been people in this room who have walked with you through it every step of the way, who carried you. And I know some people who have been through these times years ago who still turn to cards, comments, moments to carry them through and some of that grief comes back. What have you witnessed in the church? We have treated each other like family, maybe even better than you treat some of your own genetic family. That's a witness. How many other groups are like that? What have you witnessed of the Holy Spirit? That's where everyone gets really confused because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit as much as we should. If you have answers for some of the questions I've asked and you don't have answers for others, that's okay. It's your witness. As your pastor, I'll sum up my witness a little bit. I could sum it up in a number of ways, but I kind of have a main bedrock of what I'm about. And I'm going to introduce a word because the word I could use, you might have your own idea of what that is, but I want to try to bring in what I mean by that word. Um, there's a term called kingdom. Have you seen the word kingdom? It's not my word. It's been around for a while. Um, I am very focused on, you could say, the reign of God, the rule of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven. It all means the same thing. And another way to say it is kingdom. The problem is, is that the kingdom, we get confused because we're not in a kingdom. We don't know the nuances and complexities of having a king or being a loyal subject to a king. The kingdom, sometimes we envision that, you know, here's a boundary, and now I'm in the kingdom, and now I'm not. Or I can point to the kingdom, there it is, and it's not there. But that's not the idea of kingdom as I've come to understand it. That's why I like the word kingdom. It gives us a different understanding. It looks a lot like kingdom, that's intentional. But ken means what? Family. I doubt you drop that word in sentences every day. I know you're not playing it in Wordle because it's too short, but we know the term next of kin. We know what kin is all about. Kendom refers to the family of God. Our fourth gospel, the gospel of John, one of my favorites. There's a scene on resurrection day when he encounters, Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene, and he says, don't cling to me because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But he says this, go to my brothers and sisters. Jesus says, go to my brothers and sisters Tell them I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Suddenly in this moment of exaltation, there is a bringing together where we are with God as Christ was with God. 
we are connected to Christ as we are connected to any other sister or brother. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it? Our fourth gospel works very hard to spell out the family of God narrative. God created humanity. Any created human is a child of God. Some of us know it and some of us don't know that. We call each other sister and brother in the church because we honor that truth. We are family. Now, we may not always treat each other as such because sometimes you use sister and brother over and over again and it loses its luster. But do you consider everyone in this room as much a sister or brother to you as anybody else? We pray, our Father who art in heaven. It is speaking to the household of God. God is the head of that household. In first century, fathers were the heads of household. Sometimes in our time, fathers are the heads of household. Sometimes it's mom. Sometimes it's grandma or it's uncle or it's somebody else. But the whole idea is whatever word you use, God is in charge of the household. We live under God's roof. It's God's rules. It's God's way. And anything we do reflects upon God. You and I are family. We've always been. Maybe we didn't know it at one point, and we came to know it, and we got baptized, and we said, I do and I will to each other as the church, and then we live together in this new way, but we're simply acknowledging a truth that was already there. We are all family, part of the kingdom. Amen? When we repent of all other ways of seeing things, then we start to come into the kingdom presence, the reign the kingdom, and we honor it for what it is. You are my sisters and brothers, the people across the street, my sisters and brothers, the people who say things and do things I don't agree with, they're my sisters and brothers too. So acknowledging the kingdom means my relationship changes with them and with you and with everybody. It impacts everything that I do and everything that I say. It alters all my relationships. Everything was created by God and all for good. Amen? We look at creation and know that. God created everything. It was good. God is God. We are children, and our house is the earth itself, which means the kingdom is for all of it. Everything I've come to learn in my faith has been a teaching about the kingdom. Jesus preached it. Jesus lived it. Jesus died and raised and ascended for it. Jesus gifted the Holy Spirit for it. And then Jesus commanded us to go and be witnesses of it. So I simply try to live in witness to that truth. Not just by what I say. Because I don't always make the best decisions with this part of my body. Anybody, anybody with me there? But how I make decisions, how I treat others, how I dedicate my time and energy, how I spend my money, how I dream, how I have ambition, how I teach my children, how I teach my friends, how I teach my fellow Christians and all that I am and do and say and are. It's about the kingdom. I just try to bear witness to what I've seen and heard. You may not agree with everything I've said. That's okay. It's my witness. There are many things I don't know the answers to. If that spoils something for you, oh, please don't think that highly of me. And I love to learn, but if my quest for learning is simply to have the answers, I'm thinking more like a judge or an attorney less like a witness. So sisters and brothers of the kingdom, what have you seen? What have you heard? 
We are to live our life as witnesses to these things. Trusting that what we've seen and heard is what we're supposed to have seen and heard and trusting it's enough and what we can share with others. If you're meant to respond with more, the Holy Spirit will empower you and give you what to say. Amen? If you're not, it won't. That's okay. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Trust in Jesus who leads us in this way, this life of witness, and who gave us that Holy Spirit. Trust in your witness. Let it guide you. Share it. And then trust the rest of the kingdom to do their part. The work of God in the kingdom does not fall squarely upon your shoulders. I want you to know that. It's not all up to you, but your witness is up to you because it's your witness. I could never give it. The world needs your witness in whatever way you feel led to reveal it. When you're thinking, what am I going to do? Be like Peter. Do as God commands. Listen to God. Bear witness and let what comes, come. May your witness be lived out and not just in what you say, but in all you do. May it bring glory to the head of our household, God, and may it bring the same peace and love and truth and grace and compassion and all those good things that it did with Jesus. And may you be blessed by your witness as you bless others. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.